Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. This morning, uh, before we go to the Word of God, we've just sang about the Lord's evermore and His promises. I'd like to ask, let's take a chance here, if there's two or three of you, and Dave, I'll use this mic, if there's two or three of you, would, would you like to share just what one promise of God, one promise of God is really important to you? What one promise of God has come to your mind lately that maybe I was at a service yesterday for Barb Ashley Peterson, part of our church family for so many years, a reminded of the promise of eternal life, hope of the resurrection. But anybody have a promise? One, just put your hand up. I'll just, just use the mic. If not, I'll call on somebody. There you go, Larry. Could you, hey, Dave, could you pass that down to Larry? Down there next, right behind you there? Just share a promise of God that's important to you, Larry. Thank you. Jesus said, I give you peace, not as the world gives. And what a wonderful thing that we have the peace of God in our hearts if we've received him as our Savior. Good. Thank you. Certainly. Peace that passes all understanding, the peace of God. How about somebody on this side? Barb Mormonhoven. Thank you, Barb. I will never leave you or forsake you. Great. I will never leave you or forsake you. Anybody else? <laughs> Brian, put you in charge of that. Get that back there, would you? And then afterward, uh, Steve can bring it over here, okay? Good. God promises we have eternal purpose. God's promise we what was that again? Eternal purpose. God's eternal purpose. Thank you, Paul. Excellent. And I think Rita back there, I think, had a From Isaiah, while they are yet calling, I will answer. Good. While they are still calling and yet calling, I will answer. Thank you. Very good. God has given us so many promises, and I know that as we think, especially as we come toward the Christmas and the Advent season, we think of God's promise of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we go to God's Word this morning. Father, as we open your Word, we do pray that uh, you will just uh, guide us into your Word and into the promises you have given. We know that you are a dependable God, and we can count on you. And Lord, uh, we are so thankful that you are the source of our salvation, of our hope. All we have sung about this morning, we praise you and lifted your name up. And we will continue to do so now as we open your word. May we hear your words this morning. In Christ our Savior's name we pray. Amen. This time of year there are so many phrases and verses and thoughts that are associated with Christmas. And as you see the Christmas cards and maybe the poster signs and your decorations as you put up as we share in church, there are so many passages of Scripture. I'd like to put up one this morning that... I'd like us to take a fresh look at... Oh, I'm sorry, Gary, I'm going to do that. I'm going to turn this on. Let's see if we got it. There we go. Isaiah 9, 6. And, of course, because especially of the oratorial that Handel left us, this is one that is sung at Christmas and Easter. But as we think of this passage from Isaiah, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, or as in Handel punctuated it, Wonderful Counselor. Most of your translations have it, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9. I'd like you to open your Bibles to that passage this morning. We're going to look at that and take a fresh look at this. It's good, and this is one of the challenges we come to the Christmas season, is that we have the same texts and the same Bible lessons and things that come to our mind each year, and it's good for us to take, it's good for me as I study this and look at this, to take a fresh look at this really important passage. Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name shall be Khaled, right? (laughs) Khaled. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This, I want to give you a little background to this passage. And I think to kind of set it in its context for you as we consider it this morning. In Isaiah chapter 9, this, uh, Isaiah the prophet was contemporary. If you think of the Old Testament, as we come toward around the 700s B.C., before the Christ, or as today it's called before the Common Era, but before Christ, is during this time frame that Isaiah lived, and he lived during the time of several kings of Israel. And particularly, the story culminates in the life of Hezekiah, the king Hezekiah, a very godly king. But it's during this time that the ten tribes of northern Israel, the ten northern tribes, known as the nation of Israel, Israel and Judah, north and south, as they had split, ten tribes north, Judah and Benjamin in the south, the ten tribes of Israel were being threatened very seriously and were about to capitulate. And that was to the Assyrians. It was during this time that the Assyrians, they were the the major power in the Near East at this time, Egypt, but up in the north was Assyria. And the Assyrians were conquering, destroying, pillaging, ruining cities and lives and cultures as they conquered and conquered and conquered and expanded their territories. And they had a habit of when they would conquer, of taking the people and dispersing them and sending them away, bringing in other people and mixing with some of them left behind. This is what we call the diaspora, the the dispersion of Israel, the ten tribes of Israel that were dispersed during the time of the Assyrian captivity, never to return until 1948 uh, in, in modern times, the dispersion of Israel, the ten tribes of Israel. This is the context. And you'll see this in the previous chapter, in chapter 8, and if you, if you look at the, we'll just look at verse 6. Because his people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Raisin, the sons of Ramallah. Therefore, the Lord, and you'll notice it's the Lord. Paul mentioned God's eternal purpose. The Lord is allowing this. He is, direct, this is, he is using Assyria as his instrument of punishment for Israel's uh, falling away in ways that were unbelievable to the point of we, we see in Israel of, of, of child sacrifice, of, of offering to, to foreign gods, of the pollution of their lives. It has just gotten so dark. And, and, and God says, Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the river, the king of Assyria, with all his pomp. It will overflow all of its channels, run over all of its banks, and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, reaching up to the neck. Its outspread rings will cover the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Previous to this is the passage that the sign of the sun will be Emmanuel, God with us. 
And the prophecy here is, and not only is it a prophecy, it is beginning to happen. They are in the early stages. The Assyrians are conquering. The Assyrians are dispersing. The Assyrians are pillaging. I was thinking about what this means. You know, I've never lived in a situation where my, my city of Seattle, my, my neighborhood of Green, Greenwood, Green Lake, my neighborhood of Shoreline, I've never been under threat of being conquered. That, you know, that I personally felt of, of enemies coming and taking over my home and destroying my church and my family and uh, taking my wife and my kids when they were my grandkids of, of all the atrocities and things that, that go on. And I was thinking about some of the things that we think, think about the things that are happening today. Think about in especially we've, we've seen pictures from Syria and from the Middle East and, and, and before and after this is the before and after picture. Uh, cities like Aleppo and so forth that, that were that are um, in Damascus that at one time had, had very many beautiful neighborhoods. What happened, Gary? I lost my. Uh... What's that? You're working on it. Okay, thanks. <laughs> okay. So you know, think of these these pictures of before and after of destruction. You've seen them on the news. You've seen them. This is run it back to 700 B.C. And, and, and this is the situation. They are being destroyed. Their cities are being conquered. Their, their neighborhoods and their families are being ravaged. Uh, that, that's not quite as being see above and below, the before and after. And the pictures of children and destruction and, 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 and complete chaos and, and vulnerability and unable to stop it. This is what they're facing. This is what is happening in Israel during this time that we are talking about here in Isaiah chapters 8 and 9 and and the last part of the Chronicles and the Kings. This is what their life is like. This is what's happening. Their cities are being destroyed. They're being ruined. They're crumbling. They're burning. And it's coming. And the prophet says it's coming to Judah as well. It's coming to Judah. It's coming to Jerusalem. This is what is happening. The Assyrians are sweeping like a river overflowing its banks. And you can't stop it. This is it. I want you to notice at the very end of chapter 8, before we come to chapter 9, and the end of prediction here. Um, look at verse 21. Distressed and hungry. Talking about, and even though this is happening, how the, 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 the leaders are still looking to foreign gods. And they're still, they're still denying the God of Israel. Distressed. This is Israelites. Distressed and hungry. They will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward where they will curse their king and their God, their God, Elohim. Then, and I want you to notice the words here, they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. When you read this in the Hebrew, the words, these are all separate words. They're all distinct words. But they all overlap with this theme of darkness and distress and chaos and danger and death. All five of these terms, they all come together and they bring this horrible darkness of what is about to transpire because of their sin. The time of reckoning is due during the time of Hezekiah, one of the most godly kings of Judah and of Israel combined. But this is what their future is, and it is already beginning. It is already beginning in Galilee 
and Samaria up north where we walked this last spring in that beautiful area of Galilee and the Sea of Galilee and Tiberias and the Mount of Beatitudes, the Mount of Transfiguration, those beautiful areas, it was already happening. And though we come then to chapter 9, I want you to, it begins with this word, nevertheless, nevertheless, in spite of this gloom and this fearful gloom, nevertheless, he says, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In chapter 8, verse 22, there is gloom. In chapter 9, verse 1, there will be no more gloom. There will be no more darkness. There will be no more distress. There will be no calamity. There will be no more crying and tears and ravaging of your people and your cities. No more. Verses 1 and 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That's the northern extremity of Israel. The northern part, the nation of, of the ten tribes of Israel. He says in the past, he humbled them. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. That's the same area. By the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. I want you to notice as we look at this section here that leads up to our passage from chapter 9, verse 6. I want you to notice the tense of the verbs. They are all speaking as if it has already happened. It is a prophecy of the future. But all the verbs talk as if this has already taken place. Look at it again. The people in walking in darkness, they have now. They have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, present tense, a light has dawned. You have, have, present tense, enlarged the nation, and present tense, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you, you have, present tense, shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. You have done this. You have put an end to this. It's present tense, but it's a future prophecy. But it's as if it's already taken place. But it hasn't taken place. They were not shattered. They were not restored. And in fact... The nation of Israel was completely obliterated. The ten tribes were smashed. They were destroyed. They were taken away, never to return. They didn't go into captivity in Babylon. They were dispersed among the nations throughout the Mediterranean world. And there they lived till modern times. But the prophet talks as if this has already taken place. How do you bring those two together? How do you bring together this prophecy of the future, knowing the history especially, and him talking as if this has already have taken place? What can they expect? What is this future? What is it he's talking about? What is this promise? The people walking in darkness. Remember chapter 8, what we read, the darkness, the despair, 
the gloom. But these people who have been walking in this blackness, this darkness, they have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That phrase, shadow of death, is a very complex word in the Hebrew. And it, it, you recognize it from Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk, what? Through the valley of the shadow of death. In the Hebrew, it's a, it's a very complex word that it just, it just portrays this, this heaviness of darkness. And in the Greek translation is what it comes out very clear, which, which goes then into our New Testament, that it clearly says, in the valley of the shadow of death. I like, I'm no Latin expert, but it's interesting that John Calvin, I think it was, made the note of the, of the, of the Latin terms, in terra Umbre mortis. Umbre. What does that sound like? What word do we get from umbre? Umbrella. <laughs> right? Umbrella. It means a covering. That's where the word umbrella comes from. Umbre. It's a, it's a shelter. It's a covering. And this idea of terra, of course, is earth. This idea in the land of this umbrella of death. This shadow of death. It's taken away. It's gone. This umbrella, this shade, this covering is gone. And instead, it is light. And it is light. Verse 3, You have enlarged the nation. You've increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at harvest. And as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. And this idea of both the farming and war. That instead of a land ravaged by war... It is a land now victorious and a land now that is prosperous with, with the crops and abundance, Thanksgiving season of food and rejoicing. They are gone. This it's a future prophecy. Friends, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Read the rest of the Old Testament. It was not a happy ending. But the prophet speaks as if it's already done. This has happened as he, pro, as he prophesies what God is going to do. And then it all builds up. What is the key? The key, the, the, the most important part of this is how he is going to do this. And that is verse 6. And that is our, our passage we're looking at this morning. For unto us, how is it going to happen? This is how it's going to happen. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, Unto us, Israel, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, this, this person that's going to come, this person who's going to come as their Messiah, he is, and look at the titles here, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace. Larry, this morning, the, the promise of peace. Peace, isn't that a wonderful word, peace? Come on, isn't that a beautiful word? Wouldn't you love to see peace in the world? Wouldn't you love to see these lands ravaged by war at peace? He will be called the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, verse 7. And peace. There will be no end 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. It's interesting how the, the Hebrew the rabbis translated this and looked at this and, and suggested this is Hezekiah and suggested these names. And we stop and think about it. If this Messiah, this, this king is called the mighty God, I mean, that speaks of deity, right? The everlasting father, the prince of peace. And the translation, as they look at it, that this is all one name referring to God and that he's referring to Hezekiah here. But this didn't happen in Hezekiah's life. Yes, Israel was spared by God from the Assyrians. Yes, the Assyrians, you read the story, you can read it in Kings and in Chronicles, and you can read it in Isaiah 36 and 37. Sennacherib, the ruler of Assyria, he came down, he surrounded Jerusalem. They had absolutely no chance of defeating the Assyrians. There was no chance from a human perspective, there was absolutely zero chance they would defeat or stand against the Assyrians. They were doomed. Their city would be destroyed. They would be ravaged. And the Assyrians mocked them. But God stepped in. And in one night, 80,000 of them were killed. And they went packing back to Assyria. And God spared the city of Jerusalem for a little over 150 years. But the Babylonians came, and they did to Jerusalem only worse what the Assyrians did to the north. They burned the city. They destroyed the city. They ravaged the people. They took them captive to Babylon. They took all the elements out of the temple, the holy, holy vessels that nobody could touch. And they took them and used them for sacrilege in Babylon. But the prophet talks as if this is a done deal. It's already done. This is what God is going to do. The key was this Messiah, who would be a combination of David and Solomon, the man of victory and the man of peace, to sit on the throne of David forever. Forever. How will this be? How could this be? Well, listen, friends. The answer there is in the, at the end of this passage. How can he talk about, how can you talk about this as if it's happened when we know it didn't happen? We know it didn't happen. We know it was not a good ending. But this beautiful language is in this tense that it's, it's already happened. It's done with. Look at the very end of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord Savioth. The Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God is going to do this. God will see to it that this is going to happen. And it brings us to the first Christmas. And it brings us to the Advent. We call this the Advent season. Why? Because it was the advent of the Son of God into our world. The advance of God into our world. Born as a baby in Bethlehem. And we come once again this year to marvel 
and to wonder. To marvel and to wonder. How is it possible that baby born in Bethlehem was God himself a baby? Was God himself? These passages from Isaiah are wrapped up into this story that took place several hundred years later, after the destruction by the Assyrians, after the destruction by the Babylonians, after the prophet Isaiah spoke as if this had already happened. And we come to the time of the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we read in Luke chapter 1, in verse 31, where the angel speaks to Mary, You will conceive... You will give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Unto us a child is given. Unto us a son is born. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Ever, his kingdom will never end. Isaiah chapter 9, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Certainly Mary would have connected with this prophecy from Isaiah. They knew Isaiah like we think of Revelation today. This was something they studied and they looked for and they wondered about. He will reign forever on the throne of of his father, David. And then we read this in Matthew chapter 4. Leaving Nazareth, leaving Nazareth, Jesus went ahead and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, up north, Capernaum. He did this to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, Land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have, 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 not will, have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, the umbrella of that shadow of death, a light has dawned. And the fulfillment of Isaiah the prophet regarding this baby born in a manger in in Bethlehem, that this baby would grow to be the Messiah and the people living in the shadow of death and darkness and gloom will see a great light and it will dawn upon them What happened? Was it finally fulfilled? The prophet spoke. The gospel writers interpreted it as if it had taken place again. For the second time, this promise, this prophecy has taken place. But what happened? I showed you the pictures of what's still happening in the world today. Has it happened? Has the Messiah come? Has the lamb and the lion laid down together? Have they beat their swords 
and weapons and to farming tools and there will be no more war and he will wipe away all their tears. Has this happened? (laughs) Not yet. But the prophet speaks as if it has. Why? Why is it so certain? Why is it so certain that the prophet can talk as if it's a done deal and it's already happened? One reason. The zeal of the Lord. His zeal. So where do we get jealous from? Jealousy. Zealous. Sometimes we think of the word zealous in a negative term because it seems so sometimes overwhelming, but the zeal of God, his passion. You know, our God has emotions. Our God loves. Our God hates sin. He is jealous for his people. He is zealous. He cares for what belongs to him. And he will see to it. And it is so certain. It's as if it's already done. It's already taken place, but, we, but, but not yet. But it has. The zeal of the Lord. Later on, Isaiah says this, 37, 32. Once more, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You know, I have a, uh, I have a picture on my desktop and my computer it's this picture here. Um, you can turn the lights on just a second, Gary, for me. This, this is a picture of when we were standing on the Mount of Olives looking toward Jerusalem and looking out over this city. And I have this on my desktop. It's, I, I change every so often and my desktops all coordinate so all my computers open up with this picture. And I was thinking about this. That, you know, we still, we talk. We believe that this is still going to happen. We believe that, that Christ is literally still, this is literally, physically, in place and time going to happen. Christ is going to return for his second advent. He is going to establish himself on the throne of David. The, the prophet says it's done deal. The, the zeal of God will accomplish it. It's going to happen, friends. It's not just a, a, a picture, a, a figure of speech. That's not what the prophet says. It is really going to happen. There really is going to be peace on earth, goodwill to men. And he's going to come and he's going to reign. And I was thinking about this. You know, we talk about this. We believe it. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that that faith is the substance of things hoped for, of things not seen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, of faith. Now, I was just thinking about that one day. I was looking at this picture this week thinking, Really? Of all the places on earth that Jesus could come, the Messiah, God himself, and reign on earth, Jerusalem is one of the most complicated, divisive, confusing, and beautiful places on the face of the earth. The old city, the crowds, the Orthodox, the Greek, the Russian, the Eastern, the Protestants, the Catholics, the Jews, the Hasidic, you name it. Islam, Sunni, Shiite, you name it. They're all there. 
And it's, it's a, do we really, do we, is that what our, do we really, do we really, really believe this is actually going to happen and that God is going to reign on a throne in Jerusalem and there is going to be this beautiful kingdom on earth that the earth has never, ever experienced? It's easy to talk about. When I was looking at that picture, I thought, wow, that does take a little bit of faith, <laughs> you know? It takes a little bit of faith to actually believe that is really going to happen on our earth, unto us, unto us, unto us. I asked you earlier, what are some promises? What are some promises that you believe in? What are the things that are most important to you? Why do you believe them? Why, why do you believe, Larry, that, that, that God's really going to give peace? Why do we believe God is in charge? Why do we believe while people are still calling that he is hearing them? Why do we believe that he will never leave us or forsake us? Why do we believe that my God shall supply all your needs through Christ Jesus? What are your needs today? What do you need, what do you need more than anything else right now? Not what you want. What do you need? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe as if it's already a done deal that my God will provide all your needs? Do you really believe that he will never forsake you or forget about you? Do you really believe God will take care of you? Do you really believe that right now as we are talking, some of the most unlikely candidates are embracing the love of Jesus Christ forever? Listen, friends. The reason we promise, we trust in God's promises is because the zeal of the Lord, because the passion of God and His love is going to accomplish it. It is unto them. It is unto us. And it's okay for the prophet to speak to the ten tribes and the two tribes who have no idea what lays ahead and what they're going to go through to say it's already done. And it's okay for God to say to the shepherds out in the fields near Bethlehem, unto, unto you this day is born a child, Christ the Lord. And it was okay in that first century to proclaim the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And it's okay for us today to rest 100% assured in the midst of your difficulties, your challenges, and all that God's brought in your life today to trust in God that he will accomplish it. The zeal of the Lord, and it's unto us, and it's unto you. We're going to invite our worship team to come and share our final song. Turn the lights back up, Gary. And let's share together as we conclude our service this morning. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for Christmas music? Now sit down for just a second. I know it's time to go. The Seahawks don't start till 5.30. you got plenty of time. We will have church tonight, by the way. Uh, but I would like to ask uh, Sean Martin. Would you come up, Sean? Sean, this is Sean's last Sunday with us. He's been with us since last uh, end of May.
He's completed his six months, and we want to have a word of prayer and dedication. And uh, we just want, he spoke last Sunday, of course, and we want to just thank Sean for being part of our church family. We hope you feel part of our church family. You will always say, yes, thank you. <laughs> Sean is completing his, grad, his degree at Grace Bible College in the pastoral ministry program. And we are looking forward to seeing God use him in the future as he serves the Lord. And uh, he's going to be married in January. It's an exciting time for him. Yeah, but we're going to miss you, brother. It's been good to have you with us. And we want to give you, this is a gift that the elder board, uh, just for you. And uh, we also have uh, the congregation, we got the word out about, uh, because you're getting married, there are some things on your uh, registration uh, list that uh, we thought we would like to be a part of. And so the, some, the people in church have helped contribute to this. And I'd like to ask, I have a couple elves here. Where are they? Where are they? They're behind me? Oh, there they are. <laughs> okay. And uh, we have a couple of gifts for you. And uh, if you want to, why don't you just unwrap that now so people can see what it is. Yeah. 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 And you have to take it. Yeah. Okay. I'll take that back. Okay. <laughs> Here, Gary, use the mic. What do you mean you don't know where it is? Oh, okay. Okay, so these are gift cards and cash, and these are for your, uh, to help you get started with your uh, wedding presents and things that you need to get to get started off with you, and Mary, and he's going to bring Mary back to meet us sometime. He promised, okay? Hopefully this summer, okay? And um, why don't you, can you unwrap that? Holly, do you need help? Are you going to handle it? Here, I'll hold that for you too. And so there's this present, and there's one more present that Gary must be still looking for. Um, Susie and John are away on vacation this week, and she handled some of the logistics on this. Lots of glitter. Yeah, no, I don't want any glitter, yeah. (laughs) Don't forget, the game starts at 5.30, so. (laughs) Holly, did you wrap this? (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 don't say that because I know somebody does. And <laughs> oh, Holly's got one. Holly, what do you got a knife for? Actually, Oh, Marilyn Snow, okay. That's not who I was thinking of, but. <laughs> it's okay, we got some nurses here too if you cut yourself. Don't worry about it. Okay, all right. Oh, because the glitter all over. Okay. All right. So let everybody see what it is so they can. All right. It is his complete set of pots and pans. So you can, you can cook for your wife now. All right. All right. All right. Now we've got to go back with you to Michigan. And I think the other present, what, Holly, you know what it is? It's... It's the block of knives that you also have on your... Uh, so you, if you would have got that first, you could have opened the... But, <laughs> but evidently, the knives are somewhere out there. So I know you guys picked them up. I know they bought them, so they're here somewhere in the church. But we'll have to wait till Susie gets back, and uh, we will make sure you get those by the time you leave Tuesday, okay? Thank you. So I'm going to give you these back, the cards. And you can leave that there. We'll take care of it. And uh, Lord bless you. And... Um, and Sean, we, we do thank you for your service. It's been, you've been a humble servant. Everything we've asked you to do, you've done. He's stretched himself. He's touched many lives. And I just trust this will be a part of your training and leadership uh, experience that will go with you for a long time. And we will see you again. Yes. All right. Absolutely. Okay. Let's pray together, okay? 
Heavenly Father, we just thank you for allowing us to have Sean with us these past months. We thank you for his participation in ministry and just every aspect of our ministry. Lord, he's got a little bit of taste of everything. And he also served, and he served well. And Lord, we know that uh, in serving you, the most important thing is a humble attitude of being a servant. And we see that in Sean. And we trust that you're going to use that, Lord. And uh, we look forward to hearing of, of his uh, growth in ministry and the lives will be touched. Be with him and Mary as they plan their uh, last month here now before they get married. It's an exciting time for them, Lord. And we ask your blessing on them. Go with them. And again, we uh, thank you for allowing him to be part of our family. And we pray this in Christ our Savior's name. Amen. You can stand now because I'm really going to dismiss you. But I'm going to dismiss Sean first. Why don't you go back? Gary, you want to take that box back there? Everybody wants to see it. And... Uh, we're going to go by faith that the knives are here. All right? <laughs> All right. You are dismissed. Thank you for coming and joining us. Come back next Sunday and join us again. Our children are going to sing next Sunday.